Hi there, we're your IP consultants. This is about to be highly indulgent. So sit back and unpack your anti-convulsants. And we'll tell you where to shove your Stanleys and Vulcans. We'll use this device for unsolicited advice. You didn't ask us for it, but you can't beat the price. We offer up our services from the U.S. to Sweden. We're your IP consultants, Vincent and Ian. Emergency addendum to episode one. DC is in the news again. They've been doing the thing that everybody has been saying that they should do if they have any smarts, which is talk to James Gunn and look (laughs) into maybe putting him on a project where they might possibly be making a mistake is putting him on the specific project that they're putting him on. I don't know if that's a mistake or not. I think that's very calculated. But basically, in case you haven't heard, and we don't know when these are coming out, so this is like weeks later after these things have happened or anything. But uh, basically, the the notice came out that DC has tapped James Gunn to write and direct Suicide Squad 2. Right. Uh, <laughs> Which goes right along with me saying that Suicide Squad 1 was DC's attempt at making Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly. With all the different music cues and the motley crew of people and etc. And basically, this is showing to me that DC's not learning a lot because they keep just trying to pick up Marvel's leftovers. Joss Whedon left. Well, the thing that they're, they they are learning something. They're learning something. <laughs> well, what they're, what they're learning is instead of making absolutely nonsensical choices, they're making very safe, very deliberate choices. copies. They're like, wait, well, Joss Whedon, Joss Whedon left the Avengers. Let's get the Avengers guy on the Justice League. Oh, James Gunn's not with Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's get Guardians of the Galaxy guy. (laughs) They're making obvious choices. Yes. They're making very obvious choices. And the thing is, where I think they're going wrong is they're making another Suicide Squad movie. That's the mistake. Well, no, here's the mistake isn't necessarily putting James Gunn on that project because that's the obvious choice. But the questionable choice is making another Suicide Squad movie, given that. Uh, why? Why would you make another? That was the thing because that movie did well in theaters. So they're going to make a sequel. However, all the reports that I've read about James Gunn being on this is this is not a sequel sequel. It's not going to be called Suicide Squad 2. It's possibly going to be an entirely different team. Huh. Might not even be using the same people as the first movie. So it's kind of going along with what we were saying as doing a fresh start. Right. You know, that, that Suicide Squad that we saw before was clearly connected because we had cameos from The Flash and Batman in it. And this one will likely just reference them rather than cameos, which is how we want them to do it. Right. Which is like what we were saying about how to better influence and better use this universe is give hints at everything and then later on make the connection with them rather than just like trying to shoehorn cameos and references in make it organic and work. And that's what it kind of sounds like they're leaning to. Right. May I interject? Please. Uh, I, uh, the, that's, that's the problem the, that you and I have is we keep trying to interject over each other immediately. <laughs> right. The thing about the premise of Suicide Squad is it's inherently a spinoff. Yeah. The premise of Suicide Squad as a comic and as an idea is that it's taking established villains, villains that we've seen be villains, <laughs> putting them in a context where they're being forced by some version of a prison system to do grunt work for Argus. The thing about that is when you do that, 
you got to establish the villains first. Yeah. You got to have them be villains so that we know them as villains, so that we have a sense of who these villains are, so that when they are being forced to do something quote unquote good, not really, there's some sense of like, I get why this matters. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they kind of did that at the beginning of the original Suicide Squad movie, which is why it had right. three openings. So what I'm... <laughs> that movie had three intros for each character. And honestly, James Gunn kind of did that with the Guardians in the first movie. He kind of shows them a little bit before. And I think, you know, because they were trying to ape that style, they finally got the guy who did that style. I think it can still work, but I see what you're saying as far as you want, like, each of them to have an establishment as a villain in other things before they're brought into this. Yeah, because, so, like, what are they going to do? Use Dr. Savannah and Lex Luthor as portrayed by Jesse Eisenberg? And uh, uh, who else do they have? Uh, they have Deathstroke. I mean, they they kill all their fucking villains. Deathstroke, right? He's been in it for like three seconds. Yeah, yeah. They've got they've got a three second Deathstroke. Yeah, and they um, and they've got some some parademons. He kind of like what? Yeah. <laughs> what are they gonna do? Well, I, that's the thing. I think that ideally, yes, you want them to be well established villains. We're not gonna get that. We we know we're not gonna get that. They're gonna be well established in the comics. They're not gonna be well established in the movies. And that's why I think it's dumb. I know. I know that's why you think it's dumb. But this is what they're going forward with. So at least we know what to expect as far as what they're doing. Right. The rumor is that they're going to use Bane and have Batista play him because Batista's like, well, I don't want to do Guardians. I want to follow James Gunn. He's very loyal. There's nothing set in stone as to what they're doing yet. Right. This is just what they're in talks to do. But if they are going to do it, we at least know there's a baseline set up where in the opening of the thing, they're probably going to give small little vignettes for each character as far as their villainy right. and then find them in the situation on being on task team X. And they've got James Gunn, which is someone they know can do this type of movie that they want it to be. Yeah, and that's definitely got ensemble work. However, imagine if they had gone to James Gunn and gone, hey, what do you want to do? We've got the DC Universe. What do you, James Gunn, want to do in the DC Universe? Do you think the first thing that would come out of his mouth is, I want to do Suicide Squad reboot or sequel or spinoff or whatever. Do you think he would even mention Suicide Squad as a thing that he personally would like to do? Because <laughs> to me, it seems like he's doing them a favor. He's not there because this is a movie he wants to do. He's doing this because, well, he got fired for that other thing. So now he's settling for this favor for them. Well, here's the thing, though. I, I think James Gunn wants to work. There are so many things in the DC Universe that are like so James Gunny. Like just like pick a random weird thing from the DC Universe and James Gunn could do it. Like Detective Chimp, mm -hmm. the Plastic Man, Animal Man, Ambush Bug. I don't know. There's there's tons. Dead Man. Or make it super serious and give him the question. That would be awesome. Quest yeah, sure. Why not? You could give him tons of weird things. If swamp thing, maybe not. But there's tons of weird shit in the DC universe and it's like oh fucking Suicide Squad. They pick him for that because that's literally the B team like that's. We know it's the B team but that, but, but so is Guardians of the Galaxy. They know he's got a track record of working well with the B team of working well with an ensemble cast. Right but in terms of James Gunn potential projects it's the B team like it's oh do this thing like go go do that here have the scraps they're taking the scraps and giving the scraps <laughs> to the scraps. 
it's very sort of it's it's an emergency situation go deal with it rather than let's see something interesting that this filmmaker can bring to something that this filmmaker wants to do to me it just seems like it's very much a business move rather than an art move and i'm but we don't know that we don't know that 100 percent. that's what that's how it looks from the outside but we don't know that dc could have approached him and said look we know that you are are looking for more directing work and marvel's not using you anymore true what of our properties would you like to tackle? And he could have said Suicide Squad. We don't know that. He, he could have, but I doubt it. Like, I, <laughs> I, I doubt, just knowing, knowing anything about James Gunn, I doubt that his first thing would be, I want to do a sequel or reboot to this movie that didn't quite work. I feel like he would probably dig into the pile and go, I want to do this obscure thing that nobody knows about or like this weird thing. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like Detective Chimp with a talking animal because he's done talking animals before, but just something weird. Well, here's the other thing, too. This is all at this point, rumor and hearsay. We just know that James Gunn is talking to DC. The rumors are they're talking about Suicide Squad to and the rumor is it's going to be a rebooting the thing. So that hasn't been confirmed? The only thing that has been confirmed is that he's quote-unquote talking to them. This could lead to absolutely nothing. James Gunn could have not even working for them. Right. But the reason we're bringing it up is because this is what we were talking about. Right. Having somebody come in and reboot another possible movie that's on the DC slate. Right. We don't know if this is confirmed or not. This is just at this point a straight up rumor. Right. But anyway, that's the latest ongoing with DC's slate. Most recent new development with that. We will probably comment on that again as more details emerge. Yeah. Now for today's episode, we are your IP consultants. My name is Vincent. My name is Ian. And we're here to tell you how to raise your kids. Your pop culture children. Today we're going to tell New Line, I guess. I think they're still holding the rights, probably. I'm pretty sure New Line still holds the rights to it. The Mask. Yes, a comic from 1993, I believe. 93, yes. By John Arcudi and Doug Mankey. Yep. It was at one point turned into a movie in 1994. That was very quick turnaround. Yep. By uh, Chuck Russell from The Blob fame. Well, here's the thing. It's not as quick a turnaround as you think. <laughs> the thing about The Mask, actually, is that originally the character was created by Mike Richardson. Right, yeah, because there was an early prototypical version. The editor-in-chief of Dark Horse Comics. Dark Horse Comics, ironically, is actually the comic book label that started the big comic book film boom in the 90s. We had Batman in 89, and Dark Horse jumped on that show immediately and had a ton of movies. They had barbed wire. They had the mask. They had time cop. They had virus. They were consistently making Dark Horse comics into movies. Right. And a lot of these kind of semi-obscure properties that we kind of know of now because of the movies. And The Mask was probably their biggest hit. I mean, actually, not probably. It definitely was their biggest hit. But when Mike Richardson first developed the character, the idea of what it became in the comics, the Big Head Killer, is the ultimate version of of what he was going for. But the original version of The Mask, spelled M-A-S-Q-U-E. Yes was a little offshoot in some Dark Horse Presents comics right. written by somebody else. And it wasn't quite the vision that he wanted for it, but it appeared in like something like 15 to 20 issues. Right. So it had like a whole lot of this preview for it. And when it was in Dark Horse Presents was when they first optioned it 
to be a movie. Right. Okay. And they had first gotten either one of the writers or directors of the Nightmare on Elm Street series to develop the movie because that's why it was at New Line because New Line wasn't known for doing big comedies or anything like that. They were known as the horror distributor at the time. Right. I believe Chuck Russell did the third Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, exactly. Dream Warriors. So when it was originally pitched to New Line, it was pitched as a horror movie. Yes. Because by the time it had gone into its own solo series, it was very much an ultra-violent, heavy, gory comic. Right. So that's why it was originally developed at New Line. And then Jim Carrey came in <laughs> and everything changed. It was, no, they changed it before Jim Carrey came in. Oh, did they? Yeah. Through all of the accounts that I've seen online, it was being morphed and changed into something a little bit more kid-friendly because the higher studio heads wanted to kind of step away from the horror element of it and kind of make, oh, it's a comic book, so it's for kids. So they kind of like shifted that. Right. And Jim Carrey got brought on to play Stanley Ipkiss, and so that kind Kind of made everything more advanced about the effects in it. This man already has got a rubber face, so making his face not have to do many of the effects and just kind of layering things onto him is kind of what influenced the film into being what it was. I love the movie, but it is so very far detracted from the actual comics. It became very much a showcase for Jim Carrey and for visual effects. When they were filming that movie was before Ace Ventura came out. Oh, did they? Yeah, so all of that stuff with Jim Carrey being attached to it Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz were both unknowns in that movie. Right. And by the time Mask was finishing up post-production, Ace Ventura came out. So they went, holy shit, he's a star now. So they put all the marketing from it became Jim Carrey, the mask. Right. And he was known from uh, In Living Color somewhat. And he had been in like uh, Earth Girls Are Easy. And uh, he had a small role in High Strung. Small roles in a couple things. He had once bitten, which was his only really major starring role. But after that, Ace Ventura came out. It exploded in the public concept. Jim Carrey was a overnight sensation. And so the marketing shifted and made it absolutely all about this is the new Jim Carrey movie. Right. Because both Ace Ventura and the mask came out in the same year. Yeah, they did. That was a big year for him. It was a huge year for him. He went to a household name in a year and just overnight sensation. His name's everywhere. He's in everything. So yeah, the marketing and the way the movie shifted actually happened well before the movie was done. It wasn't because of Jim Carrey. Okay. They just felt that they lucked out getting a guy who is already basically a walking cartoon. Right. <laughs> and speaking of cartoons, it was also turned into a cartoon starring Rob Paulson. It was. A lot of people don't know about the comic yeah. because the movie was such a big hit and the and people grew up on the cartoon to some extent. So people just don't know that it was a comic even in the the movie. I believe there was no credit given to John Arcudi for creating any of the characters. I might be wrong. Time Cop doesn't say that either. It just says based on the Dark Horse comic. Uh, there was then another movie <laughs> called Son of the Mask. Which we don't talk about because honestly. It hurts too much. It, it, it hurts a lot. Son of the Mask is a piece of garbage. 15 years later, Carrie-less sequel to a Jim Carrey movie. There are lots of Carrie-less sequels because Jim Carrey usually doesn't do sequels. He had a policy for a long time of just not doing sequels. Yeah, both Jim Carrey and Johnny Depp had policies of not doing sequels. Pirates of the Caribbean clearly changed that for Johnny Depp. And the movie Jim Carrey finally did a sequel. Dumb and Dumber 2. <laughs> right. Which is the third Dumb and Dumber movie. Yes. Which the makers of, they don't count the prequel. Right. Understandably? Understandably so. Yeah. So Jim Carrey had this policy about not doing sequels and they kept trying to do a sequel for a very long time. And 15 years later, they do Son of the Mask with 
Jamie Kennedy. And uh, Alan Cumming as Loki. Right. Because uh, in the comics, the mask is the mask of Loki. No, no, that's from the movie. Oh, no, that's right. It was only, that was only in the movie. That was only in the movie. Right, right, right. There was, a, there was a deleted scene at the opening of the movie where Loki is banished to the mask. And they cut that. <laughs> and so the sequel is based on a deleted scene from the first movie. Well, there was, there was a reference to Loki in the first movie. When he takes it to Ben Stein. Ben Stein, yeah. Who is in the, the second movie. Which is the only carryover. Yes. They try to have a carryover by having... Jim Carrey had a dog named Milo. Right. And so Jamie Kennedy's character has a dog named Otis, which is a reference to the adventures of Milo and Otis. Yeah, which is a movie where cats and dogs died. Yeah, where numerous dogs and cats died during filming. There's an adventure story about a little pug type dog and a cat named Milo and Otis trying to adventure across the United States. And I loved that movie when I was a kid. And then I heard about the filming of that and I was horrified because I, I, it's terrible to do to animals. But uh, it's a weird reference to make Especially when the dog's not a pug, it's Jack Russell Terrier in both mask movies. So it's like, why is that even a reference that you're making? Yeah, and I don't think Milo was a reference to Milo and Otis. Well, Milo, Milo wasn't a reference. But when they made the sequel, they're like, yeah, let's call him Otis because, hey, haha, clever. That movie was not good, let's say. No, no, not good at all. It was made by the director of Cats and Dogs and the writer of an episode of Cat Dog, I believe. <laughs> So that's where the Milo and Otis reference came in. So now we've we've covered some of the more famous iterations of the mask. I guess we should get into what we're here for. Yeah, and that's the fact that originally when this was developed, it was supposed to be a horror movie because it's based on a very ultra-violent kind of horror-esque comic book. It's kind of a dark, very dark action thriller comedy. He's not even a hero. He's very much hero very much an anti-hero and actually the mask is mostly a plot device and it's more about the characters who encounter this plot device exactly stanley ipkiss is in the comic as is detective calloway yes. who is a bumbling idiot in the mask movie calloway is way smarter in the comic in fact stanley ipkiss gets the mask and then two issues later is it two issues or is it only one issue dies i don't think it's one issue i think it's more than one issue i don't know at what point he dies i think it's two issues i've got the comic sitting right next to me so i can look. yeah i've got the comic here too i'm pretty sure ipkiss bites it in the second issue. Right. Now, it's not to say that the movie didn't take a lot of the cues from the, the comic. There were some moments, certainly. Yeah, there definitely were some moments. So, yeah, Stanley gets clobbered and killed, and Detective Calloway inherits the mask. But after Stanley's girlfriend has it. <laughs> right. Uh, Kathy, I believe. Certainly. Yeah. Ka Catherine. So, I guess we should talk about, like, okay, broad strokes, what is it they should do with the mask? Should they do another sequel? Should they do a spinoff? Should they do a reboot? Should they do a prequel? Absolutely a reboot. Absolutely a reboot. I would go a step further and say a Netflix series. Yeah. Have different people wearing the mask. There's some people encountering the mask and using it for their, their means, their goals, their situation that they are in. Right. And I would say... Following the footsteps of the comics, I think you should start it with Stanley Ipkiss oh, and tell a version of that story where he's starting out as this sort of... He's, he's a nebbish. He's totally a, a Woody Allen-esque glasses nebbish. And he buys this thing at a pawn shop for his girlfriend, Kathy, yeah. as a sort of gift to apologize for something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and on the way home, I think there are some bikers who fuck with his car or something. Yeah. And he yells at them and they come back and they beat the shit out of him. I'm thinking that's what it is. I could look. <laughs> uh, and he, he, he gets home and he brings this 
mask home and he sort of they go to bed and he wakes up in the night and he has to go to the bathroom and he, he goes to the bathroom and he finds the mask on the toilet. I'm remembering this from reading it years ago, so I might be wrong about the specifics. No, no, you're absolutely right. But he finds it on the toilet. And he's like, oh, she's playing a prank on me. She's leaving the... Because he he gets startled by the mask on the toilet. And he figures she's fucking with him. So he decides, oh, I'm going to put it on and I'm going to fuck with her. Yep. And he puts it on and he transforms into, into Big Hat. Yep. And that's the thing. He's never called the mask in the comics. He's just called Big Head. Right. Big Head or the Big Head Killer. Yep. Killer because of the killing. Stanley Ipkiss is a murderer. <laughs> Very much so. Because it brings out your desires. So when he's walking home, he's thinking of all the things that he should have done. How he should have defended himself against those bikers. Right. And so he's got all these fantasies. So the mask, when he finally puts it on, taps into those. And the first place he goes is he goes to the biker's garage. He hunts them down and basically goes ham on them. And slaughters them. Brutally. In a way that is... Cartoonish. Ironically. Very cartoonish, but also similar to the scene in the movie with the mechanics. Right. The mechanics are also in the comic. Yes. But he brutalizes them in a terrible way as well. The thing about Stanley Ipkiss is he starts out with like, oh, these guys beat me up, so I'm going to go and I'm going to take revenge on them. And then he starts getting into people who have pissed him off. Yep, he makes a list. People who have annoyed him. And it just gets deeper and deeper into like, who are people who have at all bothered him in his life? And it goes to his teacher. And he just gets deeper and deeper into this addiction to the mask. And he starts reading gun magazines and stuff just to get inspiration for guns to pull out of thin air yeah. as a cartoon character would. And wearing camo. Basically, he arms himself with gun magazines. And Kathy sees all of this and gets really worried about what he's turning into because he's gone from this nebbish to this camo-wearing gun nut. Yeah. He's become obsessed, a totally different person in quotes. He's becoming a person who was inside him all along. It's becoming unleashed, this sort of mass shooter mentality. Yeah. And it's a commentary on that sort of thing, as well as a commentary on addiction. It's sort of delving into those things about the dark side of humanity and what might unleash it. And it's very conceptually dark and it's also humorous. It's comedic. It's cartoonish it's overly overly cartoonish it's very much playing with that contrast and that's to me part of what makes it really interesting yeah and i would say if you're gonna make a netflix series of the mask who would you cast as stanley ipkiss or should i go first as stanley the original nebbish that becomes obsessive and kind of <laughs> lethal right let's see uh, I, you've clearly already put some thought into yours, so that'll give me a chance to think about mine. Go ahead with your choice. My choice is, and bear with me, Robert Pattinson. The reason, and maybe before I get to the reason, I should get to the devil's advocate part, because there's going to be people listening going, Robert Pattinson, the guy from Twilight? <laughs> Twilight sucked. And I'm going to say, yes, Twilight sucked. It was terrible because the source material was terrible. Of course. And it was a really good adaptation of really terrible source material where the actors, specifically Robert Pattinson, understood not what the author intended, but what was actually written. Sure. He played Edward as a creep, as a self-hating, just unpleasant person. And it was written with the intent for him to be a dreamboat, a perfect guy. But... The way it's actually written is he's not like on the page. The character is not 
that guy that the author thinks he is. He is the guy that Robert Pattinson thinks he is. <laughs> and that tells me that Robert Pattinson is an interesting actor with good instincts for understanding what's going on in the head of this character better than the writer did. And I think that's very important because you need to set this character apart from what we saw in the previous film with Jim Carrey and in the cartoon with Rob Paulson. We need to see a very different take on this character. Absolutely. And I think Robert Pattinson would look at this character and go, this guy is not a good guy. He is like the the sort of in quotes, nice guy archetype who turns out to be an asshole. Okay. And and th that's what I want to see from this character. I buy that 100%, but I choose a different actor. Okay. When you said Robert Pattinson, that immediately put into my mind uh, the Harry Potter series because Robert Pattinson also played Cedric Diggory. Okay, I think I know where you're going. Please do go on. And so I'm going to say Daniel Radcliffe. That was totally my second choice. <laughs> For real, I didn't write it down, but I ha it was in my head. <laughs> I did think about it earlier today. Because Daniel Radcliffe, we've seen play the somewhat kind of meek, nerdy nebbish who also realizes a potential within him and becomes a savior. But also, so that's not being a savior, but realizing the potential to be something else that what you are. Right. But also, he's got a lot bigger range than people realize. And he's done some smaller independent films that have been really, really phenomenal. Horns is great. I loved Horns. I thought that was a great movie based on a book. And it's about a guy whose girlfriend dies and everybody in the town thinks he killed her. And because of that, he starts growing horns and the horns give him the ability to make people act on what they're thinking mm. and tell the truth and all this stuff. So it's really kind of an interesting science fiction, fantasy or fantasy uh, movie. Really, really cool. He also plays a detective in some movie who is undercover in a neo-Nazi skinhead gang. Mm. And uh, this is a different movie, and I cannot think of the name of it. It begins with an I. He plays this detective who's undercover, and while he's undercover, gets kind of pulled in more to the neo-Nazi skinhead realm, and he's losing himself in the undercover job. Was it Imperium? That's what it is, Imperium, yes. Okay, I just looked it up. And so he's got the range to show losing yourself in something you're becoming obsessed with. So I think as far as the range of nebbish to gun-obsessed murder nut, I think Daniel Radcliffe has a great range. And I think also having somebody with that kind of star power be in your series and then only using them for two to four episodes. Yeah, I would say two episodes is probably the right length to spend on Stanley. And then straight murdering them. Right. <laughs> because they've gone too far. And that's the only thing you can do. Having you switch out your high name lead in the thing for somebody else to come in later in a couple episodes. And obviously, let's market it as it's Daniel Radcliffe in the mask and then kill him off two episodes in and never see him again. Right. Yeah. Because all the promo shots of it, we just see the big head killer. We don't see who's wearing the big head mask. You know, it could be it could be Kellaway. It could be Kathy. We don't know. They're just flash shots in a trailer. I think he also has a good face for the mask. He's got a wide mouth and he's got very pronounced eyes. Yeah. I could definitely see it. The thing about it is, though, the main problem with doing a reboot of the mask is we have to change how the big head looks a little bit because it was so iconic. Well, I think you can't do it exactly like in the movies that have been done, but I think you try 
try to tilt it toward the comic. Yeah. Because in the comic, he's got bigger eyes and he's got bigger teeth. Bigger eyes, bigger teeth, just a giant jaw. But also, in the comics... Somehow, with all of that large, pronounced features, the mask itself would wear a mask over the mask. Yes. There are numerous occasions where he's wearing flesh over that mask. Right, with blood underneath. With blood underneath to make himself look like how he used to look when he's not wearing the mask. Right, or look like another person. Or look like another person, yeah. So that's an interesting and also horrific element that could make the thing very, very good. Yeah, he could be anyone. He could be anyone. It's not always a giant green head. And then we have the second wearer of the mask who is Kathy. I think the Kathy bit of the story should be stretched out a bit. Yeah. I think that should be the bulk of the first season. Because Kathy only really wears it for the end of one issue. Uh, well, she wears it a bit more later as well. I think she gets it back for a bit in the second uh, volume. Yeah, in The Mask Returns, she does, yes. Yeah, so for Kathy, I've got a list of names who came to mind, but I want to hear what your first thought off the top of your head, if you were going to... For me, first thought, I always... <laughs> for people who know me and who are listening to this podcast who who know my predilections, I instantly will say Christina Ricci. Mm. <laughs> That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Not not someone I would have thought of at all, but yeah. it's interesting. Only because I'm a huge fan of her, and I think she's got the unique features that would make the mask also unique. And she's got the decent range, too. So Right. And it's also somebody you wouldn't expect to put the mask on. Nobody expects, reading the mask, that Kathy is going to become the mask. Right. And so, because it's out of left field, casting that out of left field also, I think, goes a long way for performance. Right. My first pick out of the names that I've written down as like, because I've written a bunch, bunch of names who all feel a little bit wrong. <laughs> but the number one thing that I was surprised that I thought of, Anne Hathaway. Yeah, that's, that's I'd buy that. First of all, Anne Hathaway, wide grin. That helps. <laughs> but also, Anne Hathaway is able to play like subtle, upset and just broadly comedic. She has enough range, I think, to pull off a Kathy. And I think she can play the strength of that character when she has the mask. So that's my number one thought. Okay. It's not my first thought. Saying that brings another to my mind, and that's Amy Adams. Amy Adams. I could see that as well. She definitely has the range to go from comedy and serious and broad and stoic, and she definitely has the range, is what I'm saying. Right. And also, out of the ones that we've said, is the natural blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Some other names that came to mind. First, I was like, okay, so obvious casting director thought Anna Kendrick is like the name that would pop up obviously on the list. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like anytime you're casting a comedic female lead, it's like Anna Kendrick is on the list. Kristen Bell is on the list. And then you start getting into like maybe Emma Stone. Emma Stone could definitely do it very well. There's the I cannot think I can never remember her name from Wedding Crashers and other movies. Isla Fisher, that's it. Isla Fisher, absolutely huge range as far as not just comedy, but, you know, would be something out of left field of her becoming uh, the mask and would be uh, something that would be, I, I think, doing very well for uh, performance wise. Uh, Saucy Beats from uh, Deadpool 2 came to mind as someone who could potentially do it. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting choice, too. And as far as casting against your lead, casting against Robert Pattinson, they're about the same height. Casting against Daniel Radcliffe, she's a lot taller than him. Mm. <laughs> uh, Maria Bamford is kind of a weird choice. <laughs> Bamford, 
Bamford Bamford is is a uh, no pun intended dark horse selection on that one because Bamford's great with character voices and right. character shifts right. that she does amazingly well. But I think ultimately she might be the wrong age for the role. Well, I I don't know exactly what age it would be uh, going for, but yeah, against Robert Pattinson, maybe against Robert Pattinson and Daniel Radcliffe, probably there's a bit of a a discrepancy between the two. Not saying that she doesn't have the chops for it because she absolutely does. Bamford's a great dark horse selection for that. That's yeah. And obviously Kate McKinnon is just one of those names that comes up for wacky roles of course and none wackier honestly we don't know new line cinema could totally be eyeing a mask reboot just with kate mckinnon yeah i mean they could do a sequel to the movies with kate mckinnon they could do an actual here's a sequel to son of the mask but we're gonna ignore son of the mask entirely this next mask movie is all about a woman named kathy finding a mask yeah that could totally be if you wanted to keep it in the realm of the films that they've had before you absolutely put kate mckinnon in that role right now for lieutenant mitch kellaway i only have one name okay i'm guessing you have the same name well let's find out Uh, go 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 ahead and say it jim carrey That's not who I was thinking. Okay. But uh, that's that's really good. It's a bit stunt casting, and it's a bit of a trick because you're dangling that in the air. Look, we got Jim Carrey. I wonder if he's going to wear the mask. And then you just keep dangling that carrot for a long time while you spend a lot of time on that Kathy arc. Almost a whole season. And then last couple of episodes, Mitch gets the mask briefly and she has to save him from himself. (laughs) That's a very interesting choice. Honestly, I would do stunt casting, but in the opposite direction. Jamie Kennedy? No. (laughs) Alan Cumming? No. The guy who played Kellaway in the first movie. Oh, I don't know who that was. Was that anyone who's done anything else? He was in uh, Animal House. I haven't seen Animal House. It's in a shitload of stuff. My computer is moving super slowly and I can't pull up IMDb fast enough. Peter Riegert? Yeah, Peter Riegert. Oh, apparently he's in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Playing Artie Goodman. He's an excellent comedic actor and has been in a ton of stuff. And I think pulling him out into it, obviously you've got the comedic chops, but having him play Kellaway the way Kellaway was written in the comic rather than the way they wrote him for the movie. Not having him be a bumbling guy, but having him play an actual detective and giving him the opportunity to do the character right. Right. Not a terrible choice. You know, I that that would be who I would go with. Who else do we have? Are there any other characters worth casting? Walter, I guess. Walter also appeared in the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, Walter is this big sort of Frankenstein's monster looking gangster who doesn't talk much, if at all. Doesn't say a whole lot. Has a giant scar down the, the middle of his face. And he's immune to the mask. Yeah. In both ways. He can't be hurt by a person wearing the mask and... He can't wear the mask. He puts it on and it doesn't do anything to him. It just falls off. Like you would think him putting the mask on would be awful and scary and, oh shit, everything's going to get fucked up now. And he puts it on and nothing happens. Right. It's a hard role to cast with any actor. I mean, unless you go full prosthetic makeup and bodysuit and all that stuff, you'd look for a wrestler probably. Yeah, I would say exactly a wrestler. I would say the guy who played the Russian in The Punisher. Uh, In which Punisher? The Thomas Jane Punisher. Oh, that's probably the one I haven't seen. I've seen Warzone. Warzone is great, but... Which, by the way, one of the directors I've got written down is Lexi Alexander because of Punisher Warzone, because it has such a wacky, dark tone to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kevin Nash played the Russian in the Tom Jane Punisher, and Kevin Nash is a wrestler, and he's done a couple movies. He he was Super Shredder in (laughs) Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Right, that... 
character. Yeah, he's also in a, a bunch of other stuff. He's in both Magic Mike movies. He's in the the remake of The Longest Yard. But he's, you know, he's a wrestler. He's in a bunch of wrestling stuff. He's just a big, muscular dude. That's the character. Yeah, I think based on his performance in Punisher, he would be great as Walter. And then you just sort of give him a little bit more Frankenstein-y makeup. Yeah, yeah, you just give him a little prosthetics. He's definitely got the stone look in his eyes, so. Right, that's key to the character of Walter. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you just look at his headshot on IMDb and you're like, oh shit, yeah, no, okay, I'm not sucking with this guy. Right. Do we go into more directors, possibly? Yeah, definitely. I would say I agree with your Lexi choice. That's almost perfect, but it's a TV series, so you have multiple directors for multiple episodes. Right, yes. Lexi Alexander has done TV episodes, I believe. Of course, uh, of course. Of comic book shows. And I think would do incredibly well with a mask series. I always want to have this person direct everything until the end of time, but I think a franchise like this would be interesting to bring him back to television because he started in television and I'm talking about Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright would be very interesting. His directing and editing style is one of the most hyper-visual and just the way he inputs sound cues into the visuals to make everything almost musical in every single movie. It's really cool. Yeah. I love his directing style. And you go back and you watch Spaced when he started directing and working with Simon and Nick, and you're like, oh yeah, you can see how it's starting with this show. It's really great. Yeah, I'd say that's a great choice. Pete Travis comes to mind. He directed Dread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another good one. And kind of along the lines of Dread, the guy who directed The Raid and The Raid 2. I have not yet seen those, but I'm vaguely familiar with them as things people talk about as having good action. Very good action. Gareth Evans. Gareth Evans? He's the rumored director for Deathstroke. Huh. Another name, Brian Taylor of Neville Dean and Taylor. They did Crank and Gamer and the TV series. Here's the thing. I love Crank and Crank 2. They also did Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, though. Yes. I wouldn't say the problem with that movie is that it's not wacky enough or that it's poorly directed specifically. Yeah. I'm pitching one of them as director of an episode. Yeah, I haven't seen Gamer. Because it's all about the energy of it when you're looking for TV directors. And I think Brian Taylor has the energy for this kind of project. Yeah, I'll agree with that for a little bit. Ooh. He directed a bunch of episodes of Happy. Well, yeah. And he, he directed Mom and Dad. I think he's showrunner of, uh, of Happy. I think that's his show. Yeah, he wrote and directed, it looks like, most of the season. He wrote 16 episodes of Happy, so he's in season two of it. Right. I haven't seen Happy yet, but it's it, it seems like something I should watch. It's on my list. Happy's really good. I've only seen the first three episodes of the first season, and there are six episodes in the first season, and they're doing a second season with same characters. The comic is only four issues long, and the main character dies, so I don't know how they're doing that. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they're tweaking it a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. The show is definitely delving more into a lot of background and stuff, but we're not talking about Happy right now we're talking about the mask right and he did mom and dad which is that new nicholas cage movie well maybe uh, not new it came about a year ago where all the parents in the world go nuts and start killing their kids which looked really good i keep hearing it's a fun movie but yeah no that's that's a definitely good director probably a good writer for the show too honestly considering he's working on happy which is in a very similar vein 
Right. That's in part, even though I haven't seen the show, Happy, or read the comic, I get the sense that it's that kind of vibe. And since I've seen a couple of other things he's done, I feel like he's a name that should be on the list. Yeah. With the frenetic direction and the writing of bizarre bullshit, that's a good name to have. So, yeah, I would I would agree with that. And then, you know, uh, if you get Paco Cabezas, who did Mr. Right. If you can get uh, Matthew Vaughn, <laughs> that's maybe going a bit far uh, in terms of like he's always busy and doing big projects. He's working on the third Kingsman movie for some reason. Yes. So that's probably uh, off the table. Although his frequent collaborator, Jane uh, Goldman, is that her name? I think so. She's written a lot of things he's done. I would say she should be a writer of an episode or so. Yeah. Or be consulting in some way because she's got sort of the right vibe because kick ass and there's enough there for Jane Goldman to be a voice you want in that room. Another voice you maybe want, Drew Goddard. Yeah, that sounds very plausible <laughs> for this type. Yeah, because J- Drew Goddard has a sense of humor and also has a sense of weird, dark shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked cast, we've talked direction, we've talked the direction we want the show to go. But let's talk about what's actually coming out now. There's a fan film that has a trailer out now on YouTube. Oh, right. Yes. And is looking to be a decent production. And it looks to be taking it in the direction the comics go. Ish. Ish. It's not actually using any of the characters from the comic. Right. And it's using the mask prop replica from the movie. Yeah, but it is taking it definitely in the direction of the Tonally, it would seem. Of the comic, and that is called Revenge of the Mask. Right. Uh, I watched that trailer, and it doesn't have a whole lot of, like, dialogue or specifics. It's a lot of, like, imagery, and it's set to the... The music is Gangster's Paradise from Coolio. Well, yeah, it's a remix of Gangster's Paradise that was in the Valerian trailer. The description of it says, This bloody adaptation blends the story elements created by Mike Richardson with the stylistic overtones from the 1994 film version of The Mask. Right. It's kind of a mashup of the two. The short premieres online on October 31st, which is Halloween. It looks interesting. I can't say if it looks good or bad. I can just say that it looks interesting and I'm kind of anxious to see it. I find fan films fascinating. There are some fan films that you kind of say, this is how we want it to go. There's Batman Dead End, which is Batman versus Alien versus Predator. Oh yeah, I remember that. Which is a great fan film. You're like, Batman looks how he's supposed to look and everything in here is great. And then you have, there's this Punisher versus Wolverine fan film that's not good. I cannot remember the name of it. And then there's another fan film called Dirty Laundry, where Thomas Jane is... Right. That was Adi Shankar, right? Producing that? I think so, but it's... He also did Dread. Yeah. It's a fan film with Tom Jane reprising his Punisher character. I'd welcome Adi Shankar in the producing yeah. position or something. He's also doing the Castlevania yeah. show, I think. I haven't seen that, but I've heard that it's a show. It's an anime on uh, Netflix. Right. And the first season's only four episodes. The second season's going to be either six or eight. But yeah. He seems like a person with weird tastes. And that's probably what you need in the room. He also did a fan film of Power Rangers, which I did see. Yeah. And those are pretty good, too. So fan films kind of have this, oh, good, we're adhering kind of closer to the comics and how we want things to look. But there's also, depending on who's producing it or who's putting up the money for it, have this fluctuation in quality, we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's kind of like a proof of concept. Exactly. 
well before we got a legit Spider-Man movie, there was a couple film students in Baltimore, where I lived, who got a viral fan movie done that exploded mm. in the very early days of the internet. And you see bootleg copies of it at cons all the time. But if you want to check out this movie, the trailer for Revenge of the Mask is online, and they also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Revenge of the Mask. And they say in the description in the trailer that it is a short film, and that comes out October 31st. If you're looking for the trailer online, the YouTube page is Revenge of the Mask Film. And they appear to be using the Loki origin from the movies. They are using the Loki origin that Loki is trapped in the mask, but it definitely is a little harder, a little more graphic in the way that the comic was, but also kind of using the look of the character from the new line feature. Right. So ultimately, I mean, this is going to be a fan production. This is not something that's legit and we can't speak on it until it comes out. But I think it's kind of an interesting way to go as far as bringing the character back. Right. It's not what ultimately we would like, which as we've been discussing this entire episode is doing it as a series, bringing different people into the mask. And this is a new character in this movie. This is a character that did not exist in the comics, apparently. Right. But it's definitely a step in a good direction, I think. We'll ultimately find out when we see the final product. I can't speak for you, but at least I feel that it is uh, a step in the in a good direction. Right. So I think that the overall thought that we're having is that sometimes a gritty reboot is a good idea. <laughs> a gritty reboot is a good idea when the original source material is gritty and the first <laughs> venture into that material was not gritty. Right. And when the gritty <laughs> material has meaning of some sort. Yeah. And it has a call for it. Right. Because sometimes things are gritty for no reason other than style. And I think that's generally a mistake. Yeah. Stylistically, let's just make everything grimdark. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> which we discussed last episode. <laughs> this property, The Mask, is gritty and dark because it's about dark subject matter. It's about addiction and about... Bringing out the darkness inside you. Right. It's about bringing out the darkness inside you, and it's about mass shooters and things like that, serial killers. Which is kind of, I don't know, something that's in our lives a lot lately, unfortunately. Right. Well, not in my life, but uh, in, in Americans' lives, it is definitely a big thing. Yeah, you're in Sweden, so it's not quite affecting you nearly as much as it affects me here in the U.S. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something that we hear about a lot on the news, at least. So I think that's a good place for us to, uh, to call it. We've consulted. We've covered this topic and we've said what we want it to be. We haven't necessarily picked a definitive showrunner for it, but... But honestly, that's not what we do. We are the IP consultants. We tell you where we want the show to go, and it is up to you to make it happen. Unless we happen to have the perfect idea of who that's should be true. showrunner, which I don't know that we do necessarily in this case. <laughs> honestly, looking at his work on Happy... I would have to go with the guy from Crank because he's already got the experience for it. Right. Uh, Brian Taylor. Yes. Yeah. So I guess we're we're saying Brian Taylor and maybe Adi Shankar as an anchor. Yeah, that would be the dream team, at least for it. And we put our cast list out there. We yeah. put the idea out for how we would like the show to be envisioned and progress. We have consulted on your IP. Now, New Line Cinema, make it happen. Yeah, the ball's in your court, New Line. <laughs> do, do the thing. 
Well, that's it for another episode of IP Consultants. We have been your IP Consultants. My name is Ian. And my name is Vincent. And we will consult you next time. If you have anything that you think we should consult on, you can send us an email to ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at ipconsultpod or at facebook.com slash ipconsultpod. Once again, we are the IP Consultants, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a tasteful tune. You're going to make that catch on, aren't you? Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we have a sneaking suspicion that you don't actually listen to these promos. So we're not going to make you listen to one. Bye! Brought to you by the Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast where Joe and Tony watch all of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. Available on the ESO Network or wherever else you get podcasts from. But honestly, where else would you go? Watchrassilon.com? Oh yeah, that makes sense.